and thank you. And uh, we're back in our basic Christian belief study. And uh, I've got, uh, we're going to be talking about the second coming of Christ. And so I have a handout, Christ's return, things to look for. And so you got about 26 different things that are listed uh, that have to do with the end times. And they're back on that back table. So if you want to if you want to grab them and, and uh, something to refer to, I don't have the passages listed down. You could talk to me later if you want those passages. But that's just some of the stuff that I'll be looking at uh, today. And so let's let's go to the Lord uh, in, a, in a word of prayer for again that God anoints the, the preaching of his word. And Father, in Jesus' precious name, we're, we're so unworthy, Lord. We're so unworthy of your salvation that none of us deserves heaven. None of us deserves eternal life. None of us deserves fellowship with you. We're also, Lord, unworthy to proclaim your truth. Your truth is perfect and without error and infallible. Yet you call fallible men like myself to proclaim your truth. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man, that uh, you would anoint me with your spirit and empower me to proclaim your truth so that I would not lead anyone astray. I pray, Lord, that you'd open hearts and minds uh, to understand your truth and empower us uh, for your glory to obey your truth so that we could be pleasing in your sight when your son, the Lord Jesus, returns, so that when we see him face to face, he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're going over basic Christian beliefs, and we already talked about the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe there's only one God, but this one God exists throughout all eternity as three equal persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that this triune, infinite, personal God created the universe and that the Bible is his perfect word, totally without error. We talked about the fact that we blew it in the garden. Man is fallen and sinful and we cannot save ourselves. So the Bible teaches that salvation is by God's grace alone. It's a free gift, something we cannot earn. It's by God's grace alone through faith alone, in Jesus alone. And so we're saved not by trusting in ourselves. We're saved by trusting in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation. Uh, then we talked about the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God the Son or God the second person of the Trinity, and that he became a man and added a human nature without subtracting from his divine nature when he was born to a virgin, the virgin birth, when God the Son became a man and he was born to the Virgin Mary. And then we talked about the substitutionary death of Christ, that Jesus died on the cross in our place. He took our punishment for us and died for our sins. God cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full, but the Bible teaches that Jesus paid for our sins in full so that through Jesus' sacrifice, God could remain just and justify the ungodly like ourselves. Then we talked about how Jesus conquered death for us 
by bodily rising from the dead. And now we've got a few more points to cover. Today we'll be looking at Jesus' future return to earth. We'll be talking next week about the doctrine of the church, what the Bible teaches about the church, and then what the Bible teaches about angels, demons, and Satan, and what the Bible teaches about heaven and hell. And so we want to talk right now about Jesus' future return. Um, first, what I'd like you to do, uh, open up to Titus 2.13. Pat, I apologize. I didn't, I, during the praise and worship, I think the Holy Spirit gave me this passage to, for us to start with. But turn to Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. You know, just a few years ago, I don't know if you realized it, but just a few years ago, this country was uh, energy independent. That we didn't have to buy any of our energy from any other country, and they had to buy it from us. And um, uh, America was prospering, and things were going pretty good. The um, uh, jobless rate was doing great, even in minority communities. The lowest unemployment rate in um, in 50, 60 years. And things were going real well, but. There's a new administration, and now we've got new leaders, and all of a sudden now we are energy dependent. Our leaders purposely made us dependent upon our enemies for energy, and a lot of us will say, well, all I need is Jesus. Well, yeah, that's true, but I'd like to read my Bible. I'd like to turn on the lights, and the light actually goes on. So I'd like to go to the store and find out there's actually food there. And so we've got enemies that have taken over our country and making life somewhat miserable for American Christians. And, you know, we can hope and pray and study the issues and try to vote wisely and hope and pray that the elections are fair. Don't hold your breath on that one. And, um, but what I'm getting at is that if you're a Christian, your citizenship is ultimately in heaven. Um, America will go down someday, okay? Is it going to be in the next few years? Who knows? I think probably, but in fact, I think we've already gone down. I don't think we really have freedom. If you tick off the right people, they'll get bogus charges, stick you in, in prison and throw away the key. They've done that to quite a few people already right now. But our citizenship is ultimately in heaven with Jesus not here. We've got to remind ourselves of that. And so our hope is in Jesus. And so Titus 2.13, I'll start with that. Um, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing, that's the return of Christ, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay. And so what I want, what I'm going to talk about today, a lot of it's going to sound like bad news, but I want you to acknowledge it's really good news. Our king is going to come back and he's going to make things right upon the earth. And, um, you know, we got some, some of us have favorite politicians who went to bat for Americans and took a stand and 
then got maligned by the media for doing it and this and that. But ultimately, our help, our hope is not in them. We try to do the best we can politically and vote wisely and speak out on the issues and peaceful protest if you can get away with it without it being labeled an insurrection or whatever. But um, you do the best you can. That's for our neighbor. But ultimately, all the kingdoms of man go down. God instituted human government to serve man and protect his freedoms and protect his God-given rights. But eventually, human governments are taken over by godless, demonic people who instead of serving mankind and protecting mankind, they enslave mankind. And that's what's going on now. And, um, I mean, it, it's almost a one-to-one -one correspondence. If the mainstream media calls a guy a hero and somewhat of a savior, that's one of the guys who's out to get you. And then if they call a guy, you know, you name it, so they got all kinds of bad words, terrorist, race, racist, whatever, Nine out of ten times, the, the, the guy or the gal is just trying to stand up for, for Americans. But our hope, if we're believers, our hope is not in the American state. Our hope is not in political freedom. Our hope is in King Jesus. And if you want hope for the planet Earth, that's when King Jesus comes back in all his glory to reign upon the earth. And believe me, there's, uh, there's a two-fold strategy that's going on right now. The one part is they're trying to pretend you, they're lying to you, and trying to convince you that they love you. And they want to give you all free stuff. And all they're doing is just bribing you for your votes or whatever. Um... But if they're in cahoots with our enemies, they don't love us, okay? Um, but when that strategy fails, if you say, no, I don't think you love me, I don't think you're going to bat for us. When that strategy fails, the other strategy is intimidation. Okay, we're going to cancel you, from uh, censor you from social media, whatever it may be. Uh, but they, they like to use intimidation. Okay? Let me tell you something. You know, back in New Jersey, every once in a while, there'd be a little guy with a big mouth walking around. And everybody wondered, how does this guy get away with this? You know, nobody's smacking the dude. The guy's got a big, he's just a little guy. He's got a big mouth. And then they find out who his big brother is or who his friend is. Let me tell you, when, uh, when the powerful people of this world try to intimidate you, Pray for him. Our big brother's name is Jesus. And he is the lamb who was slain, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's coming back. And that's where our hope has to be. Okay? And so the day will come when Jesus will return and make things right on the planet Earth. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. There is no Christianity without the belief that Jesus will return to planet Earth. Jesus promised it over and over again that he would return to Earth. Revelation 
says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. Even, even the Jewish people will see him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Why would you mourn at Christ's return? Well, if you rejected him, you're going to mourn. My king is coming with the clouds. You know, a day's going to come when they're going to be telling Christians. They tried to, they tried to use uh, uh, the, the whole COVID thing to get more and more control. Mayors telling people you can't buy or sell unless you got the, the right credentials, the right passport and things of that sort. The day's going to come when there's going to be no place for Christians in this godless world. And, um, and we just got to remember that, uh, you know, I mean, it could be like they, they, they arrest you, they intimidate you, they beat you, they sentence you to death, and while you're walking to be executed, you know, just, just let the guy, the prison guard or whatever, just, just let him know. My king's coming with the clouds. And the first time he came, he came to bring his love and his mercy and his grace and bring salvation to sinful mankind. But we've only got a certain amount of time. So trust in Jesus while there's still time. Because when that time runs out, my king is coming with the clouds. And he's coming in power. And he's coming in glory. And, uh, and those who try to intimidate the people of God, they will mourn. They will tremble. Uh, look what Jesus says in John 14. John chapter 14. Verses 1 to 3. Jesus says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so Jesus tells us he's coming back. He's going to come back for his people, his children, but he's also coming back to bring judgment upon those who refuse to bow before him. So Jesus will return in the last days. Now, Jesus tells us about some of the things that are going to come down in the last days so that we'll know that his coming is near, okay? And, and so we'll talk about that in Matthew 24. Look at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. Now, I'm just going to cover the different options, the different views that Christians hold. It's in my new members training course. If you want a copy, we can order a few copies. And I've just got a page. There's some big words on there, but I just want us to get the concepts down. And um, 
the three main views about the end times that Christians hold to all center around the millennium. The millennium just means thousand years, okay? And so there's the thousand-year reign of Christ that hopefully we'll have time to look into. It's in Revelation chapter 20, the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. But there's three different views about that, concerning that. One is called premillennialism. And that's the, the view that I hold to, that Christ returns before the millennium, before the thousand years, and that he literally reigns on earth for a thousand years. So the premillennial view uh, is the view that Jesus, after he returns and rescues his people and defeats his enemies, that Jesus will literally reign upon the earth for a thousand years and sit on the throne of David, and he'll rule from Jerusalem over the whole world for a thousand years, and Satan will be chained up during that time. I don't see any reason why we should take Revelation chapter 20 in a symbolic way. So I am what is called a pre-millennialist, okay? That Jesus will return before the millennium, before the thousand years, and literally reign on earth for a thousand years. Now, there's also the amillennial position. Amillennialist means no millennium. In other words, there's not going to be a literal earthly reign of Jesus on the planet Earth, they say that ever since Jesus ascended to heaven, he's been reigning over the planet Earth from, from then on, okay? Now, I believe through his death and resurrection, Jesus has won the right to take control of the planet Earth, but I think he still wants us to pray that his will be done, that thy kingdom come, your will be done on Earth as it is in heaven, because I don't know if you read your newspaper lately, his will is not being done on Earth right now. Okay, when King Jesus comes back, that'll change. But the amillennialists will say, well, Jesus, the kingdom of God is here right now. Jesus already reigns. Now, let me say this. That is not actually false. It's just part of the truth. And what I mean by that is that is the kingdom of God here on earth right now? Yes, in a spiritual sense, in the hearts of believers. So whenever believers allow the Holy Spirit to bear his fruit in our lives, that is evidence that the kingdom of God is spiritually here. Okay? But we still await the future physical stage of God's kingdom when the kingdom of God comes to earth. Okay? So like, for instance, uh, Paul could say in, um, in Romans 14, I believe it's verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's showing the kingdom of God is here in a spiritual sense. But we still await Revelation 11:15, and the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, which said the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever. We still await the final trumpet and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to physically bring the kingdom of God to earth. So what I'm getting at is I'm a premillennialist, but I do acknowledge that there is a spiritual sense where the kingdom of God is here. Jesus is reigning. See, kingdom, the kingdom is the domain or the sphere in which a king rules. 
And right now, Jesus is ruling in the hearts of believers. That's it on planet Earth. Okay? He can still call Satan the god of this world, the god of this age. But the day will come when Jesus will return and shepherd the nations with an iron rod. Okay? And so that future physical stage is what premillennialists are talking about. And then there's postmillennialists. They believe that Jesus will return after the church reigns on earth for a long period of time, not necessarily a thousand years. So they think the gospel is going to, as it spreads to all nations, people are going to becoming Christians, leaders are going to becoming Christians, and they're going to institute godly government in all nations on earth, and the church will bring in an age of peace, and then Jesus will return after that. I don't see where they get that. Revelation 19, Jesus returns. Revelation 20, Jesus reigns on the earth with the church. So um, uh, uh, if the post-millennial view is correct, things should be getting better and better and better. It kind of makes me wonder, are these guys even reading the newspaper? I guess nobody reads newspapers. Anymore. Are they going online and finding out what's going on in the world? So I, so I myself am a premillennialist. I could show that this was the earliest view of the church. They did believe Jesus would return and literally reign upon the earth. He would return before the millennium and reign on the earth for a thousand years. Now, among our premillennial Christian brothers, there's at least three. In fact, there's even four different positions there. One is the pre-tribulational view. So before the thousand-year reign of Christ, there's a period of, of tribulation. Some think it's three and a half years long. Some think it's seven years long, okay? And the Antichrist during the, the last three and a half years before Jesus returns will uh, rule over the world and institute the mark of the beast. And so you got the Antichrist, the demon-possessed man, ruling the world in the last days. His right-hand man, the false prophet, uh, also demon-possessed. They're performing miracles, leading people astray, and they institute the mark of the beast, a mark on the right hand or the forehead. Some think it's going to be a microchip, and you need it to buy or sell in the Antichrist kingdom. So can you imagine if we couldn't buy or sell? You know, we talk about getting off the grid. I don't know. I, I'm telling you, I'm probably more off the grid than anybody here just because I'm so technologically... Um, What's the what's the word for it? Uh, dumb, dumb is a good word. There, I was um, uh, illiterate, technologically illiterate. So I'm accidentally almost off the grid. But even if they wanted me, if they wanted me today, they'd get me in ten minutes. You know, and um, and then when the government claims somebody's off the grid, like the Bin Ladens of the world, I don't believe them. I think they know right where the guy is, but he might be a useful bad guy. And um, so um, whatever the case, you can't buy or sell without the mark of the Antichrist. So this is going to be this horrible time if we take it literally, and I see no reason why to not, you know, people say, well, the book of Revelation is so symbolic. Why would you take Revelation chapter 13 literally? Well, Second Thessalonians is not symbolic. It's literal, and the Antichrist will go into the temple, the man of sin, and claim that he is God and demand that he be worshipped, and then he'll be defeated by Jesus when Jesus returns. Now, how much more literal can you get than that? 
So look up 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And that explains, uh, explains that there. So this horrible tribulation period, so the question comes up, Will Jesus come back secretly? Is there like two phases to the second coming of Christ where the first phase is in secret, where Jesus secretly snatches the church away before the seven-year period? That's called pre-tribulationalism. Almost all the schools I went to were pre-trib schools. Almost all my professors were pre-tribbers, okay? I don't agree with them, though, okay? But um, the God blessed them. Um, but I don't think that there's going to be two different phases to the second coming of Christ. That Jesus will just come once <clears throat> to gather his people, but to bring his judgment after the tribulation. The mid-tribulation position, again, they have a secret snatching away of the church in the middle of the tribulation. Uh, and then the post-tribulational view, Jesus returns after the tribulation for the church, so the rapture of the church is the second coming of Christ, that we join Jesus in the air as he returns, and then he devastates everything in front of him when all nations invade Israel, as mentioned um, in Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 to 5. And so I hold what's called the post-tribulational position. So it sounds like big words, but um, premillennial post-trip, okay, uh, but I believe that Jesus will return after the tribulation for the church. So I believe that the warnings, the events that Jesus talks about, one of the main reasons why he tells believers about that is because this is stuff that we need to be warned about because we're going to go through it. That he needs to tell us about the Antichrist because we will be persecuted by the Antichrist. Now, I hope and pray I'm wrong. We've got, we got pre-tribbers in this church and love the Lord as much or more than me, and that's a great thing, but we've all got to be ready to suffer, okay? Somebody puts, if somebody puts a gun to my head and <clears throat> tells me, um, give up on the Raiders and start rooting for the Cleveland Browns, I could become a Cleveland Brown fan real quick, okay? But if I'm going to be obedient to God's word, you put a gun to my head and tell me to deny Christ? We can't do it. We can't do it. We got to remain true uh, to King Jesus. And um, so, but whatever the case, um, whatever your view is, just be willing to not only live for Jesus, be willing to suffer and die for Jesus as well. That's all I care. I don't care about converting people to my eschatological views, my views of the end times. Um, I just want to encourage people to be willing to, to, to suffer and die for Jesus if need be. We should, if, I'm telling you, if you're not living for Jesus when days are good, what makes you think you're going to be willing to suffer and die for him when things get bad? Okay, I got a lot of people. I I got a lot of high school students, mostly boys, that are this way, that don't want to study, don't do their homework. They're okay with C minuses and D pluses, but when they go to college, they tell Doc they're going to turn the light switch on. Okay, let me tell you, for every ten guys that do that, when they turn the light switch on in college, no no lights come on nine out of ten times. 
Every once in a while, you get the one guy, he turns the light switch on, and he's a 4.0 student. You're like, where did that come from? Um, but, hey, the only way you can make sure you'll be willing to suffer and die for Jesus is if you sell out to him right now. You live for Jesus right here and now. And, um, and so, um, but I think all Christians, uh, we should be willing uh, we should acknowledge, you know, I mean, we should acknowledge normalcy for the church, whether it's the church throughout the centuries or the church throughout the world, different nations of the world. The normal state is Christians get persecuted. I mean, just, just, just look up Nigeria online, Christians in Nigeria, or um, a voice of the martyrs or vision beyond borders. And find out how many Christians are being slaughtered and churches being burned down. That's the norm. And so what's happening right now is America is becoming normal. We've been the big abnormality where we've had freedom of religion in this country for a couple hundred years. <clears throat> and we start thinking that's the norm. That's not the norm. Okay? The fact that we can meet together right here and not fear somebody busting down that door in five minutes from now with uh, guns pointed at us, uh, we still live a little bit in that abnormal state. But I'm telling you, that th th this is on the horizon. And uh, I've been sounding the warning since the 1980s. That's only because I got saved in 1981. But you read the Bible, you read your newspaper, you see what's coming down. And um, with COVID, everything sped up. With the Great Reset... And uh, build back better. Uh, it's all about redistributing the wealth of the world and enslaving mankind. Okay? And America's public enemy, well, I shouldn't say America, Americans are public enemy number one. You know, it's, it's, it's very, very sad for me as a preacher to have to say this, but I, th I think an armed American middle class is the last roadblock to global tyranny. And um, I don't want revolution. I don't think it would turn out too well or anything. All I'm saying is uh, once a government, once wannabe tyrants disarm the people, then the people are totally at their mercy, okay? And, um, and we're getting pretty close to that right now. So our hope is in the Lord Jesus. Uh, he will return, but we need to be willing to suffer and die because the days before his return will be an incredibly, incredibly devastating. Let's see what Jesus says about that in Matthew 24. We're going to look at the first 31 verses. Matthew 24, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. That was Herod's temple, beautiful, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. So they were really impressed. They were like, look, look, Jesus. Look, we're, we're patriotic Jews, and we have this beautiful temple. Look how beautiful the temple is. And, you know, every once in a while, people would forget, oh, I'm talking to the guy who created the whole universe. He's probably not going to be too impressed with our little building projects, okay? So verse 2, and Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Surely I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. What Jesus is saying is in 40 years, in 70 AD, it's all coming down. Okay? 
by the way, we got there's a little bit of application here. You know, Temple was destroyed in 70 AD. They haven't even rebuilt it yet. I think under the Antichrist and a peace treaty, that's probably when it will be rebuilt, okay, in the last days. And, um, but, uh, you know, I think this is application for us. I think sometimes we go to Jesus and we say, look, Jesus, look at the good job that I have. Look, Jesus, look at the nice house that I have. Look, Jesus, look at the nice car that I have. Look at the nice church building that we have. Okay? And, um, and we build things with our hands. We say, look, Jesus, doesn't this impress you? And I think Jesus' response to us is the same, what, same way, same response. It's all coming down. This is a message the American church needs to, needs to hear and needs to heed. Brothers and sisters, it's all coming down. The American dream. You know, you, you work hard, take care of your family. But believe me, the day's going to come. Maybe not in our lifetime. I'll be shocked if it's not in our lifetime. Eventually, this is going to come down. There's not going to be one stone left upon another. So Jesus is saying, don't get too attached to the things of this world. The book of Hebrews says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And in the end, the only thing that can't be shaken is the kingdom of God. And, um, and so Jesus had to explain what was going on. So they, uh, verse 3, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, that's right outside Jerusalem. I love the Mount of Olives. Garden of Gethsemane is up there. From the Mount of Olives, you could see where the temple used to be. So from the Mount of Olives, they, they, they would have been looking right at the temple. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So I don't think they realized they were asking him two different questions. Because they're saying, well, when will these things be? Well, Jesus was talking about the destruction of the temple, 70 AD. When will these things be? And then what will be the sign of your coming? Which is thousands of years after that. Jesus is yet to return. Okay? And so Jesus has to give an answer that kind of encompasses both. Okay? And um, so starting in verse 4. And what's the sign uh, of the destruction of the temple... What's the sign of your return? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. This is an important question. Okay? We need to all think about, gee, I wonder what things are going to be like before Jesus returns. Well, Jesus told us. And the only way we will not be deceived by others is if we study his word. So don't let anybody deceive you for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So you're going to have people saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Savior, and deceive many people. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of sorrows, literally, literally the beginning of birth pains. And I've heard, obviously I haven't experienced it, 
I've heard that as uh, a mother is about to give birth, as you get closer to the birth of the child, the birth pains increase in frequency and in intensity. So when we see the signs that Jesus talks about, the wars and rumors of wars, the famines, the pestilences, the diseases, the earthquakes, when you see them increasing in, in, in frequency and in intensity, then you know that the end is near and Christ's return is near. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. That's one of the things I, I look at is how many nations on earth is Christianity outlawed? That's a, it's a, usually just, just the Bible itself is outlawed in over 50 countries throughout the world. But then there's like another, probably another 75 to 100 countries where you're allowed to be a Christian and read your Bible. But if you share your faith with somebody else, you could be sentenced to death. And, um, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. and You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. The word for offended there is with scandal and involves the idea of scandal and apostasy. You could be talking about the falling away of the faith where the uh, an end time false church claiming to be the true church. People say, well, that's Christianity. No, that's false Christianity. Okay. Then many false prophets, people who claim to speak for God, will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. I'm telling you, when we were looking in 2020 and the, the riots and destruction and these people, they were acting like people, the media acted like they were heroes. And they brought weapons and they set buildings on fire and they burnt down police cars and they killed people. And then when the other side of the aisle does something stupid, no weapons, that's an insurrection. So what, what's wrong? You know, a mostly peaceful protest, the, the CNN reporter saying, with buildings on fire in the background. Um, lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. I'm, I'm telling you, we're, we're living in such a day and age where the reason why, the reason why, um, a big chunk of the population doesn't kill people they don't like because they don't think they can get away with it. It's the only thing that's restraining them is God-instituted government. But what happens when God-instituted government goes bad and starts backing the murderers and not defending the abiding people? When lawlessness increases, man's love grows cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. That's the key sign, is when the gospel is preached to all nations. Now, let me say this. The gospel has already been preached to all what we call nations. But back then, uh, the word in the Greek for nations pretty much meant a people group with their own language. So, like, for instance, the continent of Australia, the gospel has been preached there. But there's hundreds of tribes with their own languages, tribal peoples, who've never heard the gospel. And so you get new tribes' missions that's, that's getting the gospel out to them and other missionary organizations. What they're doing now, too, they're taking the old 1970s Jesus film, which is right from the Gospel of Luke, 
and they're learning the people's language. A lot of these people don't, these tribal peoples don't even have a written language and they're dubbing it in, in the language of the people. So they're actually getting the gospel of Luke in their own language. And it's usually, it's the first motion picture some of these people have ever seen. And so it's not uncommon for 20% of the viewers to accept Christ on the spot. So we're getting with technology, we're figuring out how to get the gospel to all nations, to all people groups, and then the end will come. Verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. I believe that's the Antichrist going to the temple, proclaiming himself to be God, and the image of the beast built in the temple that will have the ability to breathe and speak. So I don't know, we're talking transhumanism, cyborgs, robots. I don't know what's going on there, artificial intelligence. Um, but then it says, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house and let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant. Because, you know, it's going to be hard to just get up and run away when you're pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. There Jesus is taking a, a jab at the Pharisees. God said you got to rest on the Sabbath day, so the, the Pharisees speculated and figured out exactly how many feet you were allowed to walk on the Sabbath day. But then if they had a meeting that was beyond that, you could take a piece of your cloak and tear it off and leave it there, and then you get extended X amount of feet. And you can keep doing it. So Jesus says, you know, you Pharisees, you better hope you don't have to flee on a Sabbath day, man. You're going to be tearing a lot of clothes and dropping it off, and it's going to take you a long time. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. For unless those days were shortened, I believe they'll be shortened by the second coming of Christ, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Therefore, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Book of Revelation, chapter 13, the Antichrist and the false prophets, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, they will be performing miracles deceiving people. If you're not sold out for Jesus now, you're going to be very vulnerable, very susceptible to deception uh, when the Antichrist shows up. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. He's saying that the return of Christ will be obvious. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, the eagles will be gathered together. So you're going to see the signs of the times letting you know that the return of Christ is near. Then Jesus says this, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And so 
Jesus is going to return in the last days after this horrible tribulation period with the Antichrist and the false prophet rule over the world and Christians or believers are hunted down. Um, take a look at Revelation chapter 19. Look at Revelation 19 and Revelation 20. I take these passages in a literal, natural fashion. If there's metaphors, I look to see what they're symbolizing, but I don't just toss out what's being taught here. But Revelation 19, starting at verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, it's the word of God, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. He is bringing God's wrath to earth when he returns. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, it goes on further talking about the, this battle. And then um, verses 19 through 21, And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. This is also spoken about in Zechariah 14, 1 to 5, when all nations invade Israel, Jesus will land on the Mount of Olives. Ezekiel says he'll come in through the eastern gate, and then Jesus will demolish the armies of the Antichrist. Then the beast was captured, that's the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet, his right-hand man, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image, by the way, if you receive the mark of the beast, Revelation 14, 9 to 11, you'll be cast into the lake of fire and you'll have no rest day and night and the smoke of your torment will go up forever and ever. Okay, so you, accepting the mark of the beast is a final heart denial of Jesus as Savior and the outcome will be the eternal flames of hell. Uh, but he takes the Antichrist, he captures the Antichrist and the false prophet. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Then he goes right into Revelation 20. So you have the second coming of Christ. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit. That's the abyss. That's not the lake of fire. It's a different place. It's a temporary place of torment and imprisonment for certain angelic beings that have gone too far. Having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, he laid hold of the dragon, 
the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their, their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So those who get put to death, martyred for their faith, during the tribulation period, they're going to reign with Christ. There are other passages in the scripture where Paul says all true believers will reign with Christ. Here, uh, uh, the apostle John is focusing on the, the martyrs, but we will reign with Christ as well, even if we don't go through the tribulation. Verse five, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So the first group resurrection that occurs at the second coming of Christ, okay? Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death, eternal death, has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. So you're going to have people growing up during the millennial kingdom, bearing children, and some, many of these children are not going to come to Christ. Okay? And uh, uh, they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God. So Satan gets released and he leads people from the nations, non-believers from all over the world, uh, to have one Satan's final attempt to overthrow Jesus. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstones at the end of the thousand years, where the beast and the false prophet are. They've been there for a thousand years at this point. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So now after the thousand-year reign of Christ, the final defeat of Satan, verse 11, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it and whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. For our own righteousness is filthy rags before the Lord, okay? And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. We need to trust in Jesus. Anyone who doesn't trust in Jesus for salvation will be judged by their works and their so-called righteousness will be measured against the righteousness of Christ and they will fall short. And the lake of fire is their final destiny. So Jesus will return 
in the last days after the tribulation period, he'll reign on earth for a thousand years. Now, what happens after the thousand year reign of Christ? And we'll be closing with this Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Revelation 21, 1 through 4. By the way, there are, we have brothers who love the Lord Jesus, who are amillennialists and who are post-millennialists, they love Jesus just like we do. I just don't know why they don't take Revelation 19, 20 and, uh, literally. They kind of pick and choose what they want to take literally and what they want to just toss aside as, as a metaphor, okay? Um, pray for them, but we do have brothers and sisters. I think they'll become um, uh, pre-millennial when the stuff starts coming down, Um but things are not getting better. Things are getting a lot worse here on planet Earth. That's why Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? He said that because there's going to be so little of it. And so in closing, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and also there was no more sea. And so this is after the thousand-year reign of Jesus on the planet Earth. He's going to make a new heavens and new earth. And then I, John, that's John the Apostle, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There should be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And we, I'm sure we got people in this church that are hurting right now. And there's sorrow, and there's pain, and there's weeping. And that's going to increase. We've been so comfortable here in America with the suffering and the pain and the crying that's going to, to increase, but we've got to remember our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in the American government. Our hope is not in the wisdom of man. Our hope is not in our own so-called righteousness. Our hope is in King Jesus, and he will return, and he will take his stand upon the earth, and then a thousand years later, they'll bring the new heavens and new earth. And so God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There'll be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. For the former things will have passed away when King Jesus makes all things new. And so in this world of suffering, by, by the way, in a fallen world, let me, in this fallen world, suffering is a blessing. Okay? What I'm getting at is in a fallen world where we humans need to be saved, if we didn't suffer, we wouldn't look for salvation. If we were too comfortable in this world, we wouldn't hope for another world. Okay? And so don't, brothers and sisters, do not get too comfortable with the physical blessings of this world. 
okay? We have a hope. Bill Gates, unless he comes to, has a come to Jesus moment, he doesn't have a hope. He thinks he does. Guy wants to rule the world. But we have a hope. And his name is Jesus. And in the midst of our suffering, no matter how bad that suffering gets, our rallying cry, our proclamation is what the early churches was. And that's Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So may we proclaim to the world and may the church never forget that Christ has died. He died for our sins. Christ is risen. He conquered death for us. But Christ will come again. You might say, no, Pastor Phil, it's just, I lost my job and there's people who make fun of me and they ridicule me and someday you might say, they just sent me to prison for preaching Jesus. We have a hope because Christ has died, Christ has risen. No matter what the world says, there's last day mockers, just like Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3. Even though the world mocks us, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And brothers and sisters, that is our hope. But it is certain, because God who cannot lie has given us his word, and he's given us his son, and Jesus will come back and take his stand upon the earth.